Yeah, where's it coming from? Let's find out. Hello and welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher, and with me is Kendra Mauer and Morgana. Tonight we're welcoming Phil Rossi of the Don't Turn Around podcast. Hey, Phil, how's it hey. going? Hey, it's going great. Happy to be Excellent. here this evening. Thank you guys for uh, having me on your incredible show. I'm a I'm a big fan of what you're doing, so I'm tickled to have the opportunity to talk to you guys this evening. Thank Excellent. you. So you've been an experiencer for quite a while, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was thinking about it a lot um, this weekend as I was out and about and walking the dogs and kind of taking an inventory, which I haven't really done in a real serious sense in a long time. And I try to think back as far as I could. And really, you know, it goes back to growing up in my parents' house up in Connecticut uh, it, my grandfather actually built the house that my mother grew up in. And then we in turn as kids grew up in that same house. So, which was pretty incredible. You don't hear that that often um, these days, but I just remember, you know, even before I was maybe 10 years old, hearing sounds in the house, going to the foot of my parents' stairs saying, first thing I hear a noise, it's the pipes, the house is settling. Then coming back and saying, I'm thirsty. I need a cup of water, you know, because they weren't, feeding into the hearing the noises things. I was legitimately hearing some strange sounds. I got the, you know, it's the pipes, but it just, I knew it wasn't the pipes. If that, if that makes sense, I just, I just knew. And there were times where things would fall off my shelves every once in a while. Uh, and it would happen, you know, through different intervals, there would be a month where things would be a little strange and I would have a hard time sleeping and I would hear those sounds at night. And then nothing for, for many months. And so that went on, I think, until, you know, my early teen years where there was really nothing really happening in the house, but it was still something I was very interested in. And I don't know if it was the weirdness that I experienced that drove the interest or if I was just predisposed to be the kid in the elementary school that finds that nook in the library with all the Loch Ness monster books and Bigfoot books, UFOs, ghosts. I mean, I was, I was hooked at a very, at a very young age. And that, stayed you know that stayed the same for for quite a while i wouldn't say i had my first major experience until i was a teenager and i'm happy to share this story tonight i actually shared it on um, timothy renner's uh, strange familiars podcast but just this past weekend i remembered a detail that i that i had forgotten at the time of uh, being on his show so there was one week period of time i must have been 15 maybe where every night I was waking up at 344 exactly. And this was before I knew there was a, you know, a stigma around the you know, 3 a.m., 3.33, whatever. This was before that was even something that I was aware of. I did find out after the fact that that was a thing uh, when I looked into it. But uh, so every night I was waking up at the same time 
after having a very vivid dream, but a dream that I, I couldn't remember. Yeah, it was just, I knew the dream was vivid. I knew there was something important about the dream. And I just felt each night was leading up to something like that feeling of anticipation kept building. And then the final night that this wake up was occurring, I rem I was aware of this dream that my sister was coming home. Uh, she had, maybe she had been out because uh, my sisters were in college and I don't think they were even in town at that time. Uh, and I heard her coming up the hallway and then suddenly I was, I was awake, but I still heard someone coming up the hallway, still thought it was my sister. And so I, I call out to her and she doesn't respond. And then I see this kind of a black shadow standing in the doorway. And then it, um, it said, I love you, but in this gravelly, deep voice. And I'm, I'm going to do the voice for you. Uh, let me drink a sip of my tea. I'm, what, who do I call when I have a nightmare about this? <laughs> you can call me. You can, you can, pay, you can pay it back. <laughs> so I hear the, this voice say, I love you. And it sounds ridiculous when I do it. I mean, it's ridiculous, but that is what I heard. And so I did a very similar voice in response saying, I love you too. And then suddenly the shadow that was in the door rushed forward. Um, and I was pinned and looking back, I wonder if it was sleep paralysis, but what was weird about it was I didn't feel pressure on my chest. I felt pressure on my arms, like right around the elbows, kind of holding me down to the bed. And this thing was, I, this is where it gets a little fuzzy. It was saying something about mocking me or I was mocking it and don't mock me. I can end you very easily. And I tried to scream. And I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you try to scream and nothing comes out. And it was the weirdest, just most terrible feeling of just this gut deep fear. And then yeah. I felt a little slackening of this pressure and I was able to turn over because my night side lamp, I couldn't reach with this arm, but it was easier to reach if I rolled over. And I rolled over and I turned that lamp on and out of the corner of my eye, I saw the shadows kind of like twist into themselves like ink when you drop ink in a, like a glass of water or food coloring. It was like that, but in reverse. And so when I heard Timothy's episode about the inky shadows, I mm -hmm. emailed him immediately because I had never heard anyone describe anything like that experience. And it wasn't an experience that I ever really talked about very much. And I still get the chills when I talk about it, but that was a major experience. Definitely not positive. I tried to play it off as, you know, I was sleeping. I didn't even know sleep paralysis was a thing back then, but I just figured I was just not quite awake. But I know that in looking back that I was telling myself I wasn't awake because it was just too much to kind of fathom. And looking back, I still don't even know what happened other than something happened. Well, that's horrifying. Well, <laughs> yeah. And nothing quite like that has happened since, happy to Good. say. But I will say, um, maybe going on 20 years ago, what I call my other life in this other house that I used to live in in a very other different time. There was a period of several days, maybe a week 
where I, there were weird things happening in the house. The animals were behaving very strange. And I felt a very like similar presence in the house. And I think for a week, I wouldn't go down into our washroom in the basement. And I had like a, one of those sub pumps that are set into the floor. Oh, and no. I just, as well. yeah. I and I just mm-hmm. felt like I couldn't go down there. And then the, I was expecting more to happen. Nothing ever happened. And I'm glad. And since that time, I haven't really felt much of anything similar, but boy, that was, um, and that was something again, like I blocked out. And then when I got into college, I was distracted, wasn't as into the paranormal stuff. It wasn't really something that I, I thought a lot about until much later in life, even probably then in the last five or so years, it's been something I've been getting a little more interested in. And then in the last two or so years, I've started listening to a lot more podcasts and then boom, started Don't Turn Around in uh, 2021. So pretty recently with that. I wonder how many experiencers have gaps where there's a five to 10 year or more period where they just don't experience things like when you're a child and then you. I've wondered that. I've wondered that same thing. And I was on one of my recent shows, we were having a discussion and, and I kind of parallel it with creativity a little bit that when those stressors in life start piling on, it's like that part of the brain that processes that stuff that perceives that stuff kind of shuts up a little bit. You know, I I called it the wonder door (laughs) out of, out of the blue. It's like the wonder door gets pushed shut by everything that's piling on you. And I think it's interesting because in the last couple years, I've probably been under some of the most incredible life stress. And yet because of the shows that I'm listening to and because of doing this show, I feel like it's kept the door open. And I wonder if this stress is off also kind of catalyzing my ability to perceive what's going on around me. I don't know. It's, it's something I've been trying to unravel because in the last couple of years, I've been experiencing more and more. I've often wondered about my goo theory where everybody's surrounded by a goo of yeah. hormones, pheromones, yeah. their own electromagnetism. I've often wondered if stress doesn't alter that and make you more receptive. Yeah. Or because it's not around, just your right? energy, it's your hormones as well that change. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's we're this big complex. I mean, living computer and with all these inputs, all these variables, you know, you can see the hormone levels as different lines of code and different mm-hmm. commands that are coming in and, and coming out. So it's all got to play into it. And and just to back up to one way I was trying to kind of work through the whole sleep paralysis concept and, and that people experience these, you know, otherworldly experiences when they're experiencing the uh, sleep paralysis and there's, you know, articles in all the journals that say, well, your body is releasing this hormone. So basically your muscles won't move. So you don't injure yourself when you're sleeping and it's kind of a survival mechanism. And I often wonder is that, that other, that thing that's waiting on the other side of the curtain, can it perceive those changes in those hormone levels when the, whenever, you know, those are released and that it it knows that you're vulnerable, and that's and that's when it's coming in to, to mess with you. Exactly, that's the other half of what I had been thinking about. Or take it a step further: can it induce hormonal changes? Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. to deliberately weaken you. Yeah, um, 
And I do think there are cycles of experience in experiencers' lives. And I've noticed in my own life that I've experienced a lot of things as a child and then had a gap. And then later in my life experienced more things. But I don't think my gaps have ever been longer than about two years, yeah. maybe, without something happening. Um, but I come from a weird family and I'm just weird. <laughs> So. Well, you know, and I think that's the thing too. I mean, maybe if I really stop and think hard, I mean, maybe the gaps aren't as long as I perceive them. And also at the same time, I'm sure there have been things that have happened or things I've observed that I didn't notice enough that it, I stored it, which makes me think of something crazy that blew my mind just recently or in the last several months uh, I was having a conversation with uh, Jim Perry of the Euphemet podcast, and he was talking about his experience at this uh, old hotel in West Virginia where he saw his first apparition, like right there before his eyes. And that's what made me remember my experience of a couple years ago of having seen a full effing-bodied apparition, and I forgot about it. How do you how do you forget about that? That's a whole other question. I I've experienced things where you hear something at night and it's terrifying to just go back to sleep. I've done that a couple yeah. times, and then months later, I'm like, I really did hear somebody yeah. like screaming, and yeah. why did I go back to sleep? And what's astounding is that I mean, the story came back vividly too. I mean, it wasn't just a half mm -hmm. recollection of did I see. We had been staying uh, with our, with my family, uh, my parents, and my sisters and their kids at this house in the Poconos, and the house just had that vibe. It just had, there was a certain energy in the atmosphere there. The basement was particularly creepy. There was this old school, old style schoolhouse desk in the basement, just facing the wall, and then just like a random chair down there and nothing else. So maybe that kind of set the, you know, set the vibe right there. <laughs> But our room uh, had this little tiny, there was a door and we thought it was a closet. And so we opened the door and there was a very narrow stairwell that went up into the attic mm. and which was, okay, that was the room we picked. So we were stuck with that room. But my wife said, put all of our bags in front, in front, of, front the door. of that door. And, the, <laughs> and at that time she was not really open to this stuff. Like she was a believer, but she was not opening herself up to it at all she comes from a uh, colombian family and they are highly superstitious yeah. and so it was just no she did not want to entertain that at all put the bags in front of the door we're good so the first few nights there we think we stayed there for three nights the first couple nights heard some weird sounds but panned it off as just house sounds right house sounds or the kids up or my sister up the last night i woke up uh, turnover and basically there was the door for the attic and then across from that was a window kind of looking out over the backyard and there was a woman standing in front of the window long dark hair and i don't know why it's always a white dress but she was wearing like a light colored dress um and i don't know if something if, if you're seeing through the veil or whatever peering into that reality or there's some blending happen if the color washes out i don't know but she was looking out the window but she looked very solid like there was someone standing there and i remember laying there i closed my eyes i said i'm going to open my eyes she'll be gone and i can just 
go back to sleep and everything will be fine. Or I can stare at the ceiling. Either way, she's going to be gone. Open my eyes. She's still there. Mm. So I say, okay, let me close them again. Maybe they weren't closed <laughs> long enough <laughs> the first time. You had to change the rules. You know? Yeah, so I changed <laughs> yeah. the rules. It's got to be for, you know, three whole seconds. And I open my eyes and she was still there. And so I said, okay, this is, this is happening. I will be okay. So long as she doesn't turn and look at me. I said, if she looks at me, I will get scared and that'll be it. I will have, I will have a heart attack. I'll wet the bed. I don't know. Something, something will happen. And I wasn't scared in the moment, but I felt like if she looked at me, I was going to be scared. And I closed my eyes again, open them and she was gone. Well, I didn't wake up my wife because she didn't need to know that happened. And I didn't tell her for some time later that I experienced that. But what was particularly, what added to the unsettlingness of that experience was the door was cracked open. Like the bags were pushed away and the door was, was cracked open to the attic. Yeah. No, (laughs) that's horrible. Yeah. That's every kind of nope. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was exciting on a level. Once I was able to process it. Yeah, um, once it's daylight. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. I think the thing is too, though, in those scenarios, it's not a controlled environment. You're not looking for an experience. You're not expecting an experience. And when it catches you off guard, I think it's even more overwhelming when yeah. it's something that you are thinking is a limited possibility that it, that it might happen. And I think that's probably why it took a little time to process. And maybe that's why my brain just filed it away until I was ready to view it more objectively after talking to people about their experiences. Cause as I talked to more people about their experiences and learned more about what's happening out there for folks, I found that my fear went down substantially and my curiosity just went way up. And I went from being someone that said, I'm just going to talk to people about this stuff, but I'm going to sit on the bench. I'm going to live vicariously through folks. And then Suddenly, I just felt this drive to get out there and, and see what I could possibly experience in a way that was intentional, that there was intention behind it, that I wanted to connect. Well, and that gives you a sense of control. Oh, absolutely. And I think for every all the events in my life at the time, I think that control was something that I, that I needed to, to keep me kind of grounded. It's just an interesting place, I think, to look or control, but maybe at the same time, if you think about it, I mean, if you're comfortable with a journey that is not going to have the answers and and you are good with that and it's open-ended and you may not get the answers, that is really a lesson uh, or a uh, philosophy that applies to everything we experience, be it, you know, conflicts between people in our lives or stress at work. I mean, being okay, knowing that you have no control over the outcome and you don't even know what that outcome is going to be, but you're okay to stay on that path, no matter what's going to jump up in front of you. I think there is also comfort in the sense of control in that. Maybe that's why I'm so into this now. (laughs) (laughs) T. I love tea and podcasting, by the way. So you're, if you're you're wondering what I'm drinking over here, it's nothing more exciting than um, just some Lipton. I was too I was too lazy to brew anything more fun than that. <laughs> I am having citron tea from Ooh. Korea. We should have a little like 
tea group and send each other our favorite teas. Oh, yeah. That's a great idea. Sign me up. Excellent. So you went out investigating something this weekend. I did. I did. This was a mere footnote uh, in my email to you, Barbara. Yes. <laughs> so there... When I was looking for local places that I could try my hand at this months and months ago, and I live by, very close to a couple battlefields, and I got to cut my teeth at Ball's Bluff Battlefield, which is only about 10 minutes away, I came across a very tragic story of a TWA Flight 514. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. I knew nothing about it at the time. Apparently, this was this tragedy changed... Um, some serious issues in the FAA uh, led to air flight, the communications between air traffic controllers and pilots being much safer. It changed everything. So TWA flight 514 was supposed to land at Reagan national airport, uh, but because of weather, they diverted it to the less traveled at that time, Dulles airport. This was 1974. Uh, they were flying by instrument for the most part because of the bad weather conditions and the air traffic controller told the pilot, you can make your final approach. And they're looking at the map and they're saying, well, this map says, you know, 3,800 feet, but they're telling us now we can descend to, you know, 1,800 feet. And they flew right into the side of Mount Weather outside of Percival, Virginia. And that was it. All 92 people on board the plane died. And it was one of the most catastrophic air accidents in aviation history up until that point. And yeah, and this is only 30 minutes from where we live. And so I thought, wouldn't that be an interesting place to go visit? Uh, a lot of potential to, to connect with something that may still be there, something that is needs that connection considering it's not so well known and probably not a lot of people go out there for better or for worse so it was on my list for a while uh but you know i had just for whatever reason i had it had had not headed out there and right about the time where i was making plans to to just do a kind of a recon run out there one of my guests that i had on my show who was um, a psychic medium in the area just sent me a message saying oh you should really check out this place so I just thought that the timing of that was, um, it was interesting. So that was enough to kind of make me say to my wife, hey, why don't we go check this out uh, next week? Just we'll go during the weeknight, just for a few minutes, just to get a feel for the place. She's been coming out on some more investigations with me. She has kind of opened up to it. Um, she goes out, she likes to take photos during the daytime and then just kind of experience it with me. So that's been an amazing kind of milestone for, for her and I. So we head out there. And I wanted to get out there before sunset so we can kind of figure out what was what, but uh, just timing being timing and you always want to leave at a certain time, but you leave 30 minutes later. It was yeah. one of those types of yeah. situations. So by the time we got down there, it was pretty dark and you're up in the mountains. There's a lot of trees. So it was darker than it was, you know, even out on the road when we first drove up. So basically how it's set up is you kind of have to park across the street from it. And then there's this rock outcropping where they've set up this memorial. Essentially people come and they leave flowers, et cetera. And I, I had it backwards. I thought the plane was coming in by way of that rock. And that was kind of the tail end of the crash. But as it turned out, as my, my buddy T who has been coming out in these uh, adventures with me 
Turns out that rock is what prevented the, the fuselage, basically the plane, from going out onto the road, which is why the, the emergency teams were able to get up there. So that rock actually stopped the, what was left of the plane because there wasn't really much of it left at all from going out on the road. Uh, I didn't realize that until we went back on Saturday, but we got there and, I mean, the air was just so heavy. It was just so heavy. And my wife was very quiet. I'm just kind of checking out some of the, the things people had left there in memory of the people that had died. And there was this note that someone had written and I was able to read the first couple lines of it, but it was the strangest thing. My brain, to my brain, the letters looked like they just weren't going together, right? Like I knew I was looking at words. I knew it was the English language, but I couldn't, and I wasn't really riled up at that point, but I just, my, it, the letters weren't going together. It was, I've never experienced anything like that before. Uh, and we were there for, it felt like we were there for about 20 minutes. We were there for four minutes and it felt like we were there for 20 minutes. And I just got the impression. I think it's, I think it's probably time to go. My wife was very quiet. And then she didn't tell me until after we were in the car and driving away that she just got the feeling so like sick to her stomach out there. She was so overcome by it. She says, I'm not going to go back out there at night. Definitely not. It just felt like we were not supposed to be there. So I said, okay, that's fair. That is absolutely fair. Uh, we, you know, when we leave places, we say, you know, we respect you letting us be in your space. We come here in respect, but we're leaving to return to our space now. And this is your space and please stay put. Uh, but that, that night and pretty much the remainder of the week, I felt a presence in our house, but it didn't feel necessarily like something had followed us from there just felt like something was in our home and she was having a hard time sleeping. And she said she woke up, felt like someone was in the room. And again, I didn't say too much in that moment because again, I just wanted her to be at ease, but she did say she didn't feel any threat or any fear, but she thought maybe, maybe we'll just smudge the house because it's just, I don't good or bad. I don't want anything here. Um, I sensed something too throughout the week, but it was a, um, it was kind of a protective presence. It was very comforting. As I remember Friday night before we went uh, back, laying in bed on my stomach and just sensing this presence. And then it just felt like something very gently laid a blanket like over my legs and then I fell asleep. So it was a very positive, good feeling. Fast forward to Saturday. Uh, T. Morris, who's been doing some of these investigations with me, and you'll hear him on our show in the weeks to come. Uh, we head back out there with my wife uh, in the daytime, uh, maybe about five o'clock in the afternoon. Energy is totally different. Uh, it's not, it doesn't, that sense of kind of menace is not really there. The atmosphere is still charged and it still feels very sad there, but that kind of tingling at the lizard brain was not there. So we spent a good two hours out there, maybe. Uh, he brought this device with him called the Flux 2. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. Basically, it's got a motion sensor and a temperature sensor built into it. And it's a kind of a triangle. And you have a red side and a green side. And you can use it for some limited interaction with spirits, right? And it, it was very active. He, he and my wife 
seemed to have a rapport with whatever was in that area. So they were asking questions about, you know, were you part of this, part of this flight? And it was, you know, chiming the different colors in ways that was very compelling. I'm not going to say definitively that there was something there that was interacting with us, but the responses were compelling. Uh, I brought a device called the REM pod that was going off with, um, some surprising regularity, especially the temperature sensor, which was very, very peculiar. Uh, and then a few times got hits on the EM field reading on that. And then my handheld reader was having spikes periodically uh, throughout the day while we're out there. And there's no, no power lines out there. It's, it's a clearing in the woods. Uh, the last question that T asked the Flux 2 was, are you okay if we come back tonight? You know, will we be safe? if we come back tonight and it definitively said no. So we said, okay, well, we'll, if we do come back, we said we will, you know, we're coming out of respect and we just want to, it's to learn more about the energy of this place. And so if we come back, it's not because we don't take your warning seriously, but it's just for our knowledge and perhaps knowledge that we could share with others. And we made it clear that we were here to, to be able to share their story so that we could go out and talk about this to others and inform them so they know what happened here. So we go, we leave. I can tell that T's somewhat unsure about coming back. I'm a little unsure too, but I'm more curious, but very open to whatever, you know, he decided was best for, for him and his feeling of safety. So we go, we have some dinner and we get back and we're talking a little bit and he just looks at me. He says, I can tell that, you know, if I say, let's go back, you're going to be hundred percent good with that. So I said, let's go back. We'll just take baby steps. First step, we'll be getting in the car. We'll see how we feel. Next step, we'll be driving out there. When we get there, we'll see how we feel and we'll go from there. So with that in mind, we kind of pared down our, our gear. Uh, Cause I said, we get out there if we want to leave quickly and we've got stuff set up, it's probably going to be not a good scenario. So let's travel light for this trip out. So we drive out. Uh, it's, it's dark now. Sun has sun is well set at this point. And we pull back up on that turn off on the road. And I don't know if it was intentional emphasis, uh, but I turned the lights off on the car. And when we pull up and we are plunged into darkness, now there's houses up there. There's one kind of down the hill of this private drive and there's one kind of off in the woods, but I mean, you're pretty much in complete darkness otherwise. And I said, okay, this is, this is what we're working with. Are you, are you good with this? And he was feeling good. We were both feeling good. So to get into the site in the early part of the day, which I forgot to tell you about, I felt very proud of myself and I was probably feeling emboldened because I listened to your recent episode with Chad, the, <laughs> the wilderness man extraordinaire. And so I kind of forged a path for us into the clearing. I, I climbed up the rock and I was like pushing down these thorns and these branches and clearing these spider webs. And, and then my wife and my wife and uh, T uh, actually found a path that kind of led up to the other side of the clearing. It was <laughs> so, so it was pretty funny, but I felt pretty good about myself that I was, that I was brave enough to, to, to go through all those <laughs> spider webs you should um, <laughs> the path less traveled yeah absolutely absolutely and it was a private drive so it, it's because there was a house i think way up and then they were building another house kind of nearby and i don't know 
who would build a house so close to this because the i think the disaster radius was 900 feet long by 200 feet wide so you're probably building on some of this tragedy but that's a that's another conversation (laughs) so we go up the drive um it's kind of dirt kind of a dirt driveway and it's dark we got our cameras out we've got our flashlights and i'm just saying hey just Keep your flashlight low. Just we don't want the neighbors to see us swinging these flashlights around in the woods, and we don't want to get any uh, any unexpected visitors of the of, of you know from this mortal coil <laughs> that mm-hmm. don't want us out there. And so there's kind of a mound of dirt, and then on the other side is the path into the clearing. And no sooner than we step on that other side, like the energy's back, and it feels different. Didn't feel bad. It felt ominous, but we were still you know feeling okay we were still feeling okay. And we kind of get a little bit of the ways in. I say, you know, there's a rock here where we can set up the flux too. Then we don't have to go in that far, but T was feeling good. So he said, no, let's go back to where we were earlier, which was pretty much at the far end of the clearing. And so we're still feeling good. We're getting stuff set up. He gets up the flux too. He's got his camera on a tripod. I have my digital recorder out. I'm thinking maybe I'll get out another digital recorder, pull out my EMF reader. And he turns on the flux too. And we start to speak to the energy there. And I don't know if, if it was the act of trying to broker that connection or if it was feeling that we had actually made that connection, but that's when the energy changed again. And that's where we started to feel that anxiety a little bit, kind of at a low level, but it was, it was building. And there was an energy there that was absolutely building. So we're trying to interact. We're stating our reason for being there again. And we're asking some of the basic questions, having a little bit more trouble being articulate uh, with things that have been very easy to say before. And that was definitely uh, the anxiety. I start hearing noises. Uh, He didn't hear these noises, but I I heard what sounded like some voices talking nearby. And I stopped him. I said, did you hear that? He said, I didn't hear anything. Sounded like a couple women having a conversation or maybe one woman talking. So we keep doing our thing. We're not getting any responses on, on the devices. Um, but this tension is building. Just the, It's like the air is getting heavier. And it's just so dark out there. It is so just the deepest dark woods that you would think of. And we decide we're going to switch sides. We felt we were maybe we're crowding the device. And so we go to the other side and leave a little more space like they had had earlier in the day. And uh, I hear the voices again, ask him if he's heard anything. He says, no. Uh, he then asks, are you, do you want to be here speaking with us or something along those lines? And then the device lights up green, which is green for yes. So I think we got a little more tense then because now I feel like something has interacted in a, in a tangible kind of way. And I'm still hearing the voices. And then at one point I hear a scream and he didn't hear it either, but it was one of those, it, it sounded, if this makes any sense, it sounded distant yet close at the same time, if that makes any sense. And it was a female scream and it sounded just pained. And I, then I started to kind of feel it even more like this Peter Tingle we kept joking around about was said, well, the, when you feel that Peter Tingle, we'll let each other know. And I said, you know, maybe, maybe we want to think about, you know, calling it here soon. He said, okay. I heard 
something that sounded kind of like a growl at one point, but kind of like a human kind of doing sort of a guttural kind of tone, some thumps off in the woods. And I say, okay, I think it's time. I think we need to go. Uh, I think it's, I think we're done. And he said, okay, I'm going to double down. And I said, go for it. And he says, you know, we were told earlier we wouldn't be safe coming back here tonight. Are we not safe right now? And he asked that question and there came no response. But the feeling that we both got, we talked about after the fact that that lack of response was the response. It felt very much like a very loud answer. And we packed up and we got out of there. And I just remember I kept telling him, I'm like, we're going to be nervous when we leave here, but we have to go slow because we don't want to twist an ankle or anything, God forbid. Uh, but, you know, we were going slow, we were being cool, but it was the sense of urgency to, to get out of there was, was palpable. And then he said that he was about to murder me because then we we're going back down the path. And then I turn around with my camera for one last look, which of course he was thinking of doing. And then he did the same thing, but he said he didn't want to do that. But because I turned around, he decided to turn around <laughs> as well. So we drive back and the feeling is still with us. Well, we heard one final thump from the woods while we were at the car that I can't really describe. It was, I mean, it was like a heavy log almost hitting the earth, but in a way that was kind of... um you could feel the reverberation a little bit, if that makes sense. Uh, and then we drove back and we talked about the experience a little bit, but we were still kind of tense. And then when we got out of the car, we're walking back to the house. Uh, he says to me, you know what? He said, I know what this feels like now, what we are feeling right now. He says, this feels like when you get off one of those crazy roller coasters and you're just like, wow, what just happened? And that, I mean, it was so intense we were certain we were out there for at least half an hour and then we checked the length of our recordings and we were only out there for 13 minutes wow. 13 minutes and i think the anxiety probably played into that sort of time dilation it gets weirder though it gets weirder oh also i've discovered that day or my wife discovered that um so the plane crashed in 1974 I was born in 78, by the way, just to put that out there. But the plane crashed in 74, but it crashed on December 1st, 1974. And December 1st is my birthday. Oh, Be that a synchronicity, I'm not sure, but it was. It did make my hair stand on end when my wife said, do you know what day this plane crashed? I said, you know what? No, I, did, I, didn't pick that, I didn't pick that up. I don't even know how I missed that. So that seemed a little strange. But um, upon reviewing the audio... Um, and some of the video or the audio by way of the video camera. I heard some of the weirdest things that I have ever heard. Just some of this, I picked up some of the sounds that I heard of like the talking. Uh, I picked up one of the sort of the sub kind of vocalizations. Didn't pick up the thump. Um, picked up, this was really interesting. I think it was right when we said, do you want to, do you want to talk to us? And you hear a voice say, yes, like a female voice say, yes. But then it blends into the sound of, of this, um, I don't know if it was a cicada or a cricket, but the yes blends into the insect sound. And I just was wondering, I'm like, is it using these insects to communicate with us? That's cool. It was, and just, I'm getting the chills again. To, I mean, because it's very, it is very, it's very fresh. It's um, like borrowing the vibrational quality of the insect wing. Yes, exactly. Which then... Of course, then I would think in these tangents very rapidly of, 
you know, was it the spirits from this flight? Was it a spirit of the forest? Was this, were these spirits drawn to this energy here? Or is it some combination thereof where these spirits have evolved? So many different ways to think about this. And I'm just at the beginning, but um, I've finished my first pass on the audio. I'm going to, I like to do several passes, but um, it was to say it was a profound experience is under is understating it. Was it a positive experience? I, I don't know if I can say it was a positive experience because we've had other investigations that have felt lighter. This, the evening felt very dark. We went to a dark place and there was something dark there. And, but it was a learning experience and it was profound. It was very profound. That night, the sense of that protective presence in the house, so this would have been Sunday night or, yeah, Saturday night, the sense of that protective presence in the house was gone. And at the same time, like, I felt okay. I felt like going, I felt we went out there and then we came back. We learned more about this tragedy. We went out, we brokered a connection. And it was like almost, at least for me, kind of closing this loop. And because I closed that loop, then I was, we were safe again. If we were not safe before, then we were safe. And whatever was here watching over us, maybe felt like it could move on because the house felt very, aside from us and, and our, our dogs, the house felt very, very empty again. Whoo. I mean, I feel just, I still feel the same energy. Just I imagine sharing that story. Wow. Thank you for indulging me. Yeah, <laughs> it's a really good story. It's a great when, story. When you were first talking about your initial response the first time you went out there, I wondered if there was a synchronicity with you or your wife. Yeah. Yeah, that's very possible. I mean, just because her response was so immediate, so physical, um, that there, there, there had to have been something. And she really felt compelled to come back there, too, in the daytime, which, was, which surprised me for how strong that response was that she felt like she wanted to go back out there. But wow. And I'll, I, and I got to say, and I told my buddy this you know, a day or so later that you know, in a way it's almost like we're spoiled because we've been going out and having these experiences and pretty much since I started this journey. And then as he's kind of jumped on onto the train with me, we've had a lot of interesting experiences where you talk to other folks and, and they do, let's say they do four investigations in a month. And maybe on one of those investigations, they get one thing happening or one sound on the recorder. And hands down, I think it started with when I went to Fort McHenry with, um, with my wife and my daughter, where we captured an EVP, broad daylight, tourists out, um, two very like irrefutable voices on the recording that weren't there. I won't say they were spirits but it was something that was not there and two audio devices picked it up. Um, since that time, every time we've gone out, we've caught something, either hearing it with our own ears or capturing it on the recording or something interacting with devices every single time. And I said to T, I said, we're getting spoiled. Let's try not to expect this every time we go out. And we always default to, well, we're, you know, we're going out somewhere doing something interesting with our, with our best friend. And so that in and of itself, if nothing happens, it's still, we're having quality time. And, but, um, it just, it makes me wonder why now and why 
are we so lucky to to capture all this stuff? I'm scratching my head. It's your goo. I maybe the two of you amplify the yeah. collect that you're the way you interact affects how things interact with you. Yeah, and I I love that theory. I think that's I think that has a lot to do it do with it. Um, I also wonder if it's the manner that you're reaching out. If yeah. it's the you know just the what you're putting out is going to attract right. It's going to feel maybe safer for these things. Yeah, you're seeking in a way that is safe. You're creating, you know, I use this term with my kids all the time, but you're creating this safe space for something or someone to be able to feel like they can connect. And that I love, you know, and when we initially talked about going out and doing this together, this type of thing, T and I, he said, I don't want to be like, you know, like the ghost adventures guy, you know, I don't want to go out for like, just to be like, he said, called it ghost bros and like go out for like the effect and try to just, you know, or go out and like be scared or pretend we're scared. And I said, no, I said, the whole reason I started doing this was for that connection to connect with something beyond us in a way that is seeking in a way that is humble in a way that is open. Um, and I think that has lent itself to our recent success, but, um, I still do scratch my head a little bit too, though, because I'm sure there's plenty of other people that go out there and with that same with that same mindset. So, hopefully, well, we keep getting lucky. You know, Tim and Chad go out that way. Mm-hmm. They they go out humbly and quietly to connect, and they bring presents. They bring yeah. presents. Yes. They leave yes. things. They mm-hmm. talk to it nicely. And when Chad doesn't talk to it nicely, he's learned. So he talks to it <laughs> nicely, and You know, I always get mad at the ghost hunters on TV because they're just kind of jerks. You don't want to go. A lot of them are. I mean, if you believe that a ghost is a dead person, then it's a dead human being. Then why would you be more dis? Why would you be disrespectful to a dead human being when you wouldn't be that way to a live human being, or at least we hope you wouldn't be. Right, you know, the dead human being can't punch you in the face as easily. Probably, yeah. Probably why, and that's terrible. And you know, that's the that's, thing too. I mean, you wouldn't see like a stranger in a room kind of standing off by themselves trying to keep to them yourselves and being like, hey, hey, you know, <laughs> oh, hey, hey. You yeah. Know, you wouldn't do that. I mean, it, it's not comfortable for anybody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's funny and going back and I always enjoyed you know, the ghost hunters when they were on sci-fi. More recently, we've um, been watching um, Kindred Spirits and I just really like Amy and Adam and Chip. I mean, I just like their energy. Um, and then going back and watching some of the older ghost hunters episodes with, um, you know, Jason and Grant and Steve and Tango. Sometimes they did get a little like touchy with the, like a little bit of antagonization was going on there. Like pushing, you know, pushing, um, Steve down the hallway in a wheelchair saying we're on our way to our electro stim therapy. And I said, I don't remember it being like this but maybe now that i've been trying to do it myself that i'm you know my sensitivity is coming through and i'm more aware of it's not just you're trying to get like something happening but you're actually interacting with something real something that was potentially had a body it was a person at some point in some of these cases at least and even if it wasn't a person and doesn't have a body it's some sort of invisible entity that you've ascribed otherworldly powers to. Do you really right. want to piss it off? Well, yeah, exactly. 
you don't want to you don't want to you don't want to poke the hornet's nest you yeah know? yeah and again always coming back to it and i think one thing i was say to my wife as i was embarking on this journey because she was always saying don't bring something home just don't bring something home and just impressing upon her that it's you know going out with intention and intention yeah. is so powerful and intention nine times I'm, I'm not saying that there's always zero risk in going out there um but i would say the majority of the time that intention does protect you you know we have some smudge sticks i've got this um this sacred wood from this forest like these forests in the andes um responsibly harvested but uh and it's for just like similar to sage it cleanses your energy you kind of say a, you know a prayer to whoever you want to say a prayer to when you're kind of invoking that intention of cleansing the energy and it's and i think those it's the intention of ritual too that mm -hmm. keeps you feeling safe and that safety becomes a, it's a real thing and and a word i often use too is faith you know it doesn't necessarily have to be faith and and one god the god any god but it's faith is 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 a very powerful tool Absolutely. i think what sets humans apart is our intent and our minds that mm -hmm. we can have an intent beyond i need to feed myself i need to drink this water to survive we have higher thought and we have intent and we have faith in a way that I think other beings on this planet don't tend to. I, yeah. I cannot speak for dolphins, whales, elephants, or <laughs> other animals that show higher degrees of sentience. Because <laughs> for all oh, I know, they totally have dolphin religion. <laughs> <laughs> that they would found be the elephants gathering moment. under the full moon, so... Yeah, exactly. So this is why I don't speak for them. Right, right. But I think that what makes us human is also where we can draw power and connection from yeah, to interact with whatever the other things are and protect ourselves. Yeah. And I think with that, with that humanity comes major responsibility because mm, absolutely. humanity also has that ugly side that can cause a lot of damage. Which we currently are doing to yes. like everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just we gotta everything. say it, it's we're, happening. But we're uh, back to that that thing that started before you got here. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm in a dark nihilistic place. And Barbara's like, it all, all these. I'm like, stop! I need to be here. <laughs> Let me enjoy my little dark spot. Yeah, don't we're tell here. me about Buddha. We're here. <laughs> we're here. Yeah. Um. I haven't really told the other two what you experienced when you listened to the party crashers. Yes. That okay. Kendra and I did. So why don't you sort of explain? Yeah. Let me sort of explain that. And I think I'm, I'm lacking some detail now. Um, but when I listened to the party crashers episode, I was, I often like to listen to your show when I'm out walking the dogs. It's just it's a good fit, especially in the evening when it's cooler out. And it's just a good, it's a good, a good pairing. And I was listening to the Party Crashers episode and I had such a tremendous reaction that I really felt like I could very clearly see these events almost like I was there 
And it was so profound that I immediately, like I had to email Barbara and let her know that I had this experience because I mean, I saw the colors of people's shirts, the colors of houses, the topography, um, hair length, beards. I mean, I saw a lot of stuff that was very, very vivid, almost, almost dreamlike, but also hyper real at the same time. And since that time, those details have faded. Uh, and my intention as, and I told you, Barbara, that I'm going to listen to the episode again when I have a quiet moment, once those details have faded, uh, to see if it happens again. Right. But it was, but not only that, not only was I having this sort of visual kind of experience, like I very much felt this, felt the energy, very much felt the energy. And I have listened to so many of these shows that I love where people are sharing these incredible experiences and, and, you know, the pandemonium experiences, listening to that. Never have I felt this such an energetic connection to a piece of content as I did to that specific episode. It blew me away. Yeah. Thank you. Was- yeah. I mean, and it was partially content. Absolutely. It was well delivered. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was something behind the words that was coming through to me. And, and yeah, I'm a- excited to kind of revisit that. Um, I'm just waiting one for those details to kind of fade a little bit and one for my energy to kind of have a semi equilibrium, right. Kind of have some of the stress kind of settle down from everything going on. Um, I'm probably going to wait a couple weeks. Wife is a school nurse. She goes back to school. Kids are going back to school. I'll have the house completely to myself. So I know that I can kind of just have that moment. It was wild though. Every once in a while when I meditate, and I fell off the horse with that. I was doing that for a while. A lot of mindfulness work where just this, and I don't know, I've never really talked to anyone about this before. So you're kind of the first people that I'm talking to about this. I was going to reach out to Tim. I was going to reach out to Jim on Euphemet. And I just never did because I didn't know how to really articulate it. But sometimes when I meditate and I, re- and I get into that kind of relaxed state, I don't even have to be like fully kind of relaxed. I'm not saying I'm very good at meditating at all. I'm probably terrible at it. But uh, <laughs> But I see things very, very clearly in my mind's eye. Um, Again, almost, you know, kind of in a dreaming kind of state um, where I see people that I don't recognize, but I see them clearly. And then other times, it's almost like I'm on the threshold of being able to see something with my own sight. I'm like behind my eyes, if that makes any sense, like behind my lids, I'm starting to see something like materialize. And I don't know if that's something you've heard about before, if that's something that's normal, but it's, it's something I want to get back to and explore more. And again, I, I haven't maybe part of it is a little nervousness that I don't want to see something that I don't want to see. But um, yeah, I didn't know if that was kind of a normal meditation thing or what. It I sounds a, like you're starting to remote view. Personally. I had a similar experience yeah. when I was on IV Benadryl. out of my mind but i'd close my eyes and it was a completely different but equally real reality yeah and i'd open my eyes and i was back to you know hey talking to the medics and i'd close my eyes and i was back in this other place it was the strangest experience yeah i want to i want to i want to shoot for more i want to see if i can go somewhere with this because there was one occasion and it was maybe only lasted for 
30 seconds, but I was very clearly in colonial style house, maybe at night. Um, there was a stairwell kind of going up into the shadows and then there was a bench in front of the stairs and there was a candle on the floor and there were these two women in, I will, I guess you would call it period dress, but it seemed like what you would consider casual wear for the, for whatever era it was sort of a blouse, kind of a homespun looking blouse, kind of beige skirts. Each one had um, white bonnet on. One was a young girl with dark brown hair and then one was a, a woman and I couldn't quite make out her hair. I couldn't really make out their faces. The young girls I made out a little more clearly, kind of a round face, dark eyes. And they were just sitting there. Uh, they weren't talking. They were just sitting. I didn't feel like they were just, you know, there inanimate. I just, it just felt like they were just having a moment sitting. I didn't feel like they were aware that I was watching them. I didn't even know really what I was watching, but it was, you know, starkly clear for about 30 seconds. And then it faded away. That I sounds like a time thing. Time slip. Yeah. Time, time slip split. mixed with remote viewing, mixed with scrying, maybe. Yeah. Uh, okay. I don't so. Know. <laughs> When I close my eyes, I see colors. And um, usually it's two colors, sometimes three. Uh, usually they're complementary colors, so mm -hmm. they're on opposite ends of the color wheel. Okay. Um, and they, they start out as these sort of amorphous blobs, and then they swirl around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't control them. I just watch. And eventually shapes will arise out of those colors. And sometimes they have meaning. So, so it's kind of like scrying mm -hmm. from behind your eyes. That, that's been my norm for like 55 years. Like okay. I've been able to do that since I was a little, little kid. But in the past year, I've started being able to close my eyes. And it's like little tiny movies behind my eyes. So when you were saying that you could see with your eyes, because yeah. it's very clearly I'm seeing the colors with my eyes. Yeah. In mm -hmm. my mind's eye, I can I can come up with a fully realized visualization because yeah. that's how I write yeah. stories. Yep. I have a movie in my head. Yep. And I play it and I type what's yes. in my head. Yes. I totally relate to that. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. 100%. Um, I get that. But when it's the colors, that's, I'm not in control of that, like consciously. Uh, I like that sort of amorphous color picture that you painted because that's when I kind of get into that state. First, it's all kind of an even kind of a blackish reddish, like, okay, that's some of right, the light coming through my eyelids, right? Yeah. Then the blacks will deepen and the reds will shift and then some green will flow in and then maybe some blue, a little violet. I mean, it's, it's always like moving and sometimes it's like it's about to coalesce into something and sometimes it gets closer to being something and then it just always flowing though. When I, when I start to get into that relaxed state, mm -hmm. I won't say med meditative trance or anything because I don't feel like I'm getting down to the get down, if you know what I mean. But, uh, right. but when I start to settle and, and I have kind of checked in with my space and then I check in with my body and then all of us, then it's just kind of centering in that mind part. That's when I start to see things kind of move around. This is so geeky. The other thing this reminds me of is one of my favorite anime is called Mushishi. 
Okay, I'm mm-hmm. not familiar with that one. I've um, you done should, anime in the last couple of years. You should watch it because you would love it, and I okay. think most people who are into the paranormal would really, really like it. Yeah. Okay. But in it, the character who is the Mushishi, who's basically a wandering spirit doctor, yep, is what he is. Um, he only has one eye because he looked at the light at the bottom of the world by opening his inner eyelids that were behind his real yeah. eyelids to see the light at the bottom of the world. And that's what that, that reminds me of. Wow. Oh, there's so much. It blows my mind. And I feel so fortunate that I've come to this place in my life that I am contemplating these questions that are, you know, that are the weird, right? I mean, there's, it, it's weird. It's weird, but weird does not mean bad, but that I'm in a comfortable place where I can contemplate these things. And it's just strange to me. It feels like it is substantial and important and it's what I'm supposed to be contemplating. And this is what I'm supposed to be doing because again, I keep coming back to like the life stress, but the nature of the stress in the past and currently like shuts down other outlets for me, shuts down making music. I haven't made music uh, in a true sense in years. You know, it's, it's impacts my fiction writing, but it has not put a break on this other new part of my life, which is why I know it feels like this is, this is a very critical part of the journey that I'm on. This could be, you know, everything has led to this part of the journey. And now it's, what do I do? What do I do with this? And I probably won't have that. What do I do with it? Answer maybe ever, but I'm going to keep on, keep on going down this road with, again, with that kind of open mind, open heart, understanding that we might end up in another dark clearing where things just don't feel good, or we'll end up at another space where the energy is more playful and it's just, we have that excitement, but either way, you know, I'm, I feel ready. You know, it's it's that sense of, I want more and not in a way that's, Maybe is maybe it is a little bit greedy. I don't know. It could be a little bit greedy that I want more, but it's not that I just want more for myself. I want more so I have more of this to share. Yeah, to share on the show, to share on a show as awesome as yours, to share in conversation, to tell these stories because I know I found such tremendous comfort in, you know, with everything going on in the world, etc. Listening to other stories, knowing that amazing things are still happening every second of yeah. every day. And if incredible things are still happening that, you know, it's not all dark, it's not all bad. And I think that's an important message for people to, to know exists. It is. It's also an important thing for you to be doing. You know, the answer to your question is to ask the questions in a weird way. Yeah. No, talking totally. about don't talk about Buddha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ask the next question is, um, as Theodore Sturgeon always said, ask the next question and then the next one. That's how you write yeah. fiction, but it's also how he said you live life. You yeah. ask the question, then you ask the next one, and then the next one. doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you get the answers. You right. just keep asking. And you want to bring stories to people, and stories are a massively important thing to all humans whether we acknowledge it or not yeah why do you think we love tv so much because it's all stories stories are what hold us together as people they're sort of what tell uh, it tells us what we are and who we are 
and what's important. I love all that. of that is by told to us by stories. And it's such a long tradition back to the, you know, the stars just starting to glitter in the skies before our eyes. We have been telling stories. And I mm -hmm. think that's why I gravitated way back in 2006 into podcasting and podcasting my stories because I always loved to tell stories. I would tell my yeah. friends stories. I would had a girlfriend that liked it when I called her at night in high school to tell her stories like while she was falling asleep. I mean, I have always loved the sort of oral tradition of telling stories. Yeah. It looks like you're giving me a timeout. Oh, no, I, that was me. I was flapping because that's just adorable. That you used <laughs> it, to it was happy hands. Happy that was so hands. cute. Like, have I gone too far? When, when, <laughs> she's, when she's happy, <laughs> she, she flaps like yeah. a little bird. Yeah. Like, too far. That's my space. <laughs> yeah. No, I always love, I tell my kids stories. I mean, we went a year where it was just a continued story, you know, that ended up, I kind of wrote as a draft as a book. We'll see if it sees you know, the light of day, but it wasn't so much being able to do anything else with that story, but tell them that story. And when we got into the pandemic and things were bleak and they were doing the home, you know, having school at home and I would always write them notes, you know, for, I wrote them notes every day, you know, that they were, they were with me. Um, so I, each, each morning I would write them a different part of a new story. They each had their own story and then I did that for months for them and they seemed to enjoy it. I enjoyed telling the stories, but it's stories, storytelling is a big part of my life. I'm just overcome by cuteness. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Stories. I'll take that. Important. Overcome by cuteness is, is okay thing to be overcome by. <laughs> Disgust would be something different. <laughs> no, it's, it's just so sweet. I have my moments. <laughs> In between looking for ghosts, you tell really good stories to your kids and that just yeah. bleak. Well, oh. sad. And what's sad is, you know, they're growing up now. My oldest is going into high school this year and my youngest is going into middle school and I don't get to tell them stories as much, but I get to tell them the stories of these experiences. Right. So in a yeah. way I still tell yeah. these stories and I still share anecdotes and plenty of other stories with them. But my oldest has been um, coming out with us a little bit here and there. She's done some daytime investigations with, uh, with my wife and I most notable was a ghost town in Maryland called Daniels, Maryland used to be an old textile town. The textile factory was there and the town grew up around it. Uh, then the textile industry kind of went south there. People started moving out of the town. A few people still hung out there, but uh, then Hurricane Agnes came through in 1972, washed out the town, and that was it. So what remains, the factory is still apparently out there. We didn't make it that far because we went out too late. It was getting dark. But there are still some foundations out there, uh, and there's a couple churches. There's an old, I think it was a Catholic church, and then a Pentecostal church. Um, and so those buildings, like the remnants of those buildings, still remain. And uh, so we went out there, again, not expecting much of the experience, but wow, the energy of that place was super crazy. I mean, it was, but then again, it was different from the energy at the crash site, different from the battlefield energy. It was, it's very, but it's a very had a lot of character to it and it was kind of dark too, but my daughter did amazing with it. We, uh, the two locations that were probably the most energetic were the churches, which makes some kind of sense. Mm -hmm. Right. But, um, 
the energy in the Pentecostal church, which I mean, I'm, I don't pass judgment, but Pentecostal church is pretty wild by, yeah. by church going yeah. standards. Um, we'll just say it's pretty intense, but the energy there was pretty like welcoming and pretty like even. And then at what I think was a Catholic church, it might've been a Baptist church. I could be wrong. I just know it wasn't Pentecostal. The energy over there was very, like very almost sinister. I mean, it was very dark, got some weird things on the spirit box. But what was the weirdest is the, uh, the name of the church was the church of St. Stanislaus, which you don't hear that as a, as a patron saint of many churches, right? It's not the first saint that will come to mind. The combinations of syllables that came out of the spirit box within like 30 seconds of having it on. When I said, were you a parishioner in this church? And you get something that sounds very much like the word Stanislaus, like enough that it caught all of our attentions at the time. And then it said some other dark stuff. And we decided that maybe we'll wrap it up here. But what was interesting um, as well on the steps of the church, and I have a picture of it. I can't remember if I shared it on my Instagram there. I don't know if they were vines kind of wound together really tightly, but there was a, like a crown set on the uh, on this kind of it was stone stairs and had kind of a stone railing and there was what looked like a crown just like set there so i don't know if anyone was going out there doing some kind of something ritualistic it be it a you know a nature thing or something darker i'm not gonna again speculate but it i know it spooked my wife a little bit and that coupled with the energy there was um made it seem a little bit uh foreboding but then definitely caught some interesting audio from being out there and I'm not a big, I'm very skeptical when it comes to photos of orbs because there are so many environmental variables that can create an orb, variables with the photography equipment. So I always take it with a grain of salt and we're browsing through these pictures. This is, I mean, 11 o'clock at night, we're in bed. My wife's got her iPad, she's browsing through the pictures and I'll be damned if she didn't have a picture with two orbs in the picture, almost like front and center, um, but it didn't look like a dust moat. It wasn't lens flare because there was no light coming in. They were kind of these two like pinkish, almost like smudgy things, but that were kind of luminous. And what's interesting is when you scroll to the next picture, you see these two orbs a little further, like into the woods. So almost like they were forefront and then they were deeper, like into the woods and then they were gone. And this was at the foundation of a building where my EMF reader was doing weird things. I caught a like major draft and then I caught an EVP in that area. I said, did you used to work at the factory here? And oh no, that was a different spot. I said, I think I said just something simple like, where are you? And, um, <laughs> that was timely. <laughs> that startled me a little bit. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Scotty has great dramatic timing. No, that is awesome. Everybody I've... was intensely listening. Yes. All of a sudden we're like, <sighs> I know. I know. So I, said, I, I nearly I said, where are... yeah. jumped out yeah, of my skin. That was, no, that was good. That was a good moment for all of us. We shared a moment there. <laughs> so I asked, where are you? And then you get a voice that says in here. Uh, it was a female voice. What was really weird about it was because a lot of the EVPs I get kind of sound whispery or maybe a little guttural, right? Um, this one was like a in here, but it sounded almost like it had reverb on it, which was really weird because it wasn't coming out of a phone or one of those apps. It was a very much a voice that was just captured on this recorder. And it was right at the time that my wife took this picture that we got those 
orbs. I mean, again, I'm not saying definitively it wasn't something up with the camera, but at the same time, you have enough factors that make it awfully compelling, and it's exciting to believe that yeah, we could have we could have captured something, and it, and it seemed to fit with just the vibe of the place. Just exciting stuff. I mean, yes. it's exciting. I'll share one more story with you guys. Hold on I'm a second. Just, I'm. I just discovered something about Saint Stanislaus. Oh, okay. And it's kind of funny about that dog barking, um, which is. I read that just as the dog barked. And then I was just like, oh, um, so he's a martyr. And I knew um, that he was killed by the Polish king, Bolsha. Um, he was a bishop. And the way that he was killed was he was celebrating mass outside of the walls of Krakow. And uh, the castle, the king's guard went and cut him up just murdered him right there while he was in the middle of mass, cut him up and spread his body in pieces. And it was eaten by wild dogs. Wow. So I read the little man, read the wild dogs and then the dog barked and I nearly flung my phone (laughs) across the basement. So that is amazing. So wow, I will Stanislaus. definitely be sharing that tidbit with my with my family tomorrow. <laughs> that is wild. What's great wow. is my dog did a single bark out of nowhere for no reason. Like yeah. there wasn't any noise. He just barked once and then went back to sleep. So he must have been like, ah, we need a synchronicity for this episode. Hang on, mom. I gotcha. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I was happy to, that we could have that synchronicity <laughs> there. <laughs> so last little tidbit I'm going to share with you guys. Um we went up to Gettysburg a couple weekends ago to do a nighttime investigation up there. And one of the spots we went to was this place called the Grove. Uh, it's kind of down by the bottom of Cemetery Hill. There's this unmarked grave further out, and um, it's seen some action. It's supposed to be a pretty charged place. Uh, certainly picked up a vibe out there. Uh, but there are a lot of people there because it was a Friday night, and there's all these groups that host these investigations. And this was a popular spot, so there were a lot of different groups out there. So it was hard to kind of get that sense of being out there. But I found this little path that you wouldn't even have noticed um, if, unless you were looking right at it. It was kind of almost looked like a rut. And then I kind of walked out there, and then it kind of opened up into a path. So I went down there. Um, definitely the vibe was heavier out there because it was, I mean, it was darker. There was no one out there because no one could see that there was a path there. Uh, definitely experienced some weird sounds, caught some things on the recording. Uh, and that spot, my wife and I kind of went to separately and I got a full body tingle and she said, okay, you know, should we record here? And so we recorded a little bit and I heard something that sounded like someone kind of in pain. And then almost immediately thereafter, I got that, the flip switched and I said to my wife, we, we have to go. So we left um, but we had been in that spot earlier and she was, her camera stopped working there. Her um, SLR camera would not work there. It worked again later in the night, but uh, she had taken some pictures with her phone. Uh, no flash, just, uh, just the flashlight laying on the ground, just kind of snapping some pictures and no exaggeration. There was no light around us at all. It was dark as sackcloth out there. She's scrolling through the pictures. Again, we're doing this at night and maybe we should do this during the day because then we have to watch TV for an hour so we can kind of reach that equilibrium again. 
she said, did you notice any light in the sky or anything like that? And I said, no. She said, well, look at this. And the sky has an orangish yellow tint to it, kind of like you would see with firelight. And then she pans over and there's like a picture. And between the trees, it looks like the light of a fire burning. It was, and we did not, but I'm not exaggerating. It was so dark out there. There was no lights. There were no house lights. There were no flashlights. Yet she picked this random glowing sky and this firelight out there. And I still don't know what to make of it. Yeah, You could tell me anything about Gettysburg and I would believe you because (laughs) we were, we were, me and mom were um, chaperones for the school trip for my little brother. And some weird stuff happened. And that was on a school trip with like little kids running around full daylight for two of them and something on the ghost walk that was the last thing I expected. Yeah. But I would, I will believe anything anybody tells me about Gettysburg. Yeah, there's I, a I lot of energy there. Even just driving in the bus, you know, I'm reading a book. So my head is, you know, my nose is in the book. I'm trying to avoid uh, National Treasure, which is the video that they're watching <laughs> for the kids. And I'm like reading and I just felt something. And I was yeah. like. And I popped my head up and we had just crossed into the, into the town. Like just, I was you like, do feel it. we're yeah. here. Yeah. You <laughs> feel it. Both when of you our come heads into popped the town. up. I turned around. I'm like, ma. And she's like, yep, we're here. <laughs> yeah. I will not dispute that at all. Yeah. Same experience when we, cause we did two trips. We did a daytime trip a couple weeks earlier. Uh, and then if we felt it driving in there, like it was like a, again, it's like, that switch is flipped. And you figure, because you're growing fast, so you cross into that zone pretty quickly. So it is kind of like a switch. But then that evening when we were driving out, felt it again. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a lot of, it's energetic. So it's, and we're actually, I haven't told my daughter this yet, but to surprise her for her 14th birthday, I secured a private uh, investigation of the children's orphanage up there. So we're going oh, that's there one for of the two hours at midnight on Friday. Light. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So that should be very exciting. So, yeah, best dad ever. You are the best dad ever. That's awesome. My fourteen-year-old daughter would be like, "No, <laughs> that's not a me thing." <laughs> well, yeah. Well, right now, my um, my daughter and my her stepmom, my wife, are upstairs right now. I think they're watching some ghost show in bed right now together. They're bonding up there while I'm down here uh, spending time with you guys, which is great. That's awesome. I can, and I could talk to you guys for four hours. I'm, I'm going to be responsible though. And, uh, we'll make that my, my last anecdote. But, uh, I gotta say though, you guys have created a great platform for such a variety of conversations. I mean, I'm just, I'm astounded at the wonderful directions that we were able to, to go in tonight with this discussion. <laughs> Thank you. We just let people talk. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Well, this yeah. is like a virtual living room and like we're happy to see you and like tell us whatever you feel like telling us. Yeah, and I will say this too, you guys are never allowed to retire the podcast because it is one of my favorites. I look forward Aww. to it coming out. Aww. So don't take <laughs> that you. away from me. <laughs> okay. Okay. Do you want to plug your podcast and any other projects you have going before you leave us? Yeah, I would love that. That's very generous of you. So as you mentioned at the top of the show, uh I have a podcast called Don't Turn Around. It's a paranormal podcast. Uh, I try to take the angle of not just the 
the stories people have to tell, but the impact on the human experience. So that human part of the journey. And uh, we've been doing that since, uh, since the winter. I'm having a great time sharing these stories. And so if any of your listeners are inspired to go check out the show, I would love, I would love that. And if any of your listeners have any stories they would like to share with me, I would also love to hear them. They can shoot me a line at DTA podcast info at gmail.com. I have a whole other slew of shows out there, stories, fiction. If you have any interest in that, uh, again, no pressure. It's not required listening, but uh, you can find that at philrossimedia.com forward slash D. Oh, excuse me. That would be philrossimedia.com forward slash podcast. And I don't know if I gave the website for Don't Turn Around, but you can search for it wherever you get your podcasts. I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> I appreciate that for my less articulate self-promotion there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm crap at self-promotion. People always have to remind me. So you have a podcast, right? Where is oh, yeah. it? What do you do? Um, I don't know. <laughs> so, well, thank you for coming and talking with us. It was great. It was um, a pleasure. Always come back. Yes, I would love to. You're always I, welcome. I have, I have more to bend your ear on, so I'll, I'll bug you again to about coming. No back worries. On, this has been a pleasure. Excellent. An absolute pleasure. Excellent. Thank you very much. You know what's really funny? Before we go, I'm trying to look for the stop recording button because I haven't been on someone else's <laughs> show so long. I'm like, where the f is the button? Oh, I, uh, one final story for you. This, okay. We'll go out okay. on this one in honor of that we are recording a podcast. This is kind of recording related. Uh, several weeks ago or more, <laughs> I had a um, had a trans medium on the show and she asked me, uh, I believe, it, I can't remember if it was before or after the show at this point, but she asked, have I ever caught an EVP on one of my interviews? And I had not. So I said, no. She said, well, tonight you will. So I guess it was before, but the way she said it with such certainty that my hair stood on end. But I figured, okay, she'll she's gonna do something in the background on her end, some you know, so like whisper off to the side of the microphone or or something. So I'm listening through. Lo and behold, I have a I I noticed a little tiny spike in the waveform. And so I I had used noise gates in, in post. I turned off the noise gate so I could hear what it was. And it was a voice going, hello. But to make it weirder, it wasn't. I was going to say on it was her on your audio side. track. It was on my side. I was on your side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a bit weird. Yeah. So, That's so far. We haven't caught <laughs> any sounds, but we have had things walk around. Yes. Behind the us. things, yeah. the, I... the veil that floated behind my head was, yes. was fascinating <laughs> that one time. And then that was we one of those don't, don't Ray. turn around moments. Yes. Yes. <laughs> when we were uh, pre-recording when we were having a meeting, I had an EVP mixed in with a lot of chaos in my house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it said it um, very clearly to me, they heard static, but to me it said, um, I can't help it. <laughs> no. Actually, I heard that too because <laughs> I was like, "Holy!" Was, oh, that's you right. Know, we all were heard like, it. "What just?" What was that? I was like, I thought it was Sid for a second, and and yep. but the look on your face, I was like, "Nope, that's not Sid." <laughs> and mm. what had been happening around my house is the fire alarms would go off, but it would like do a burst, not just the low yeah. battery beep. Yeah, I'd get a burst, and then it would stop, and my ceiling fan would turn on, and then turn off. 
Something's trying to get your attention. It got my attention. Yeah. With a great sense of timing. Yes. <laughs> and then I smudged. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Amen to that. Well, ladies, thank you so much. This thank has been you. a blast. So I look forward to doing it again. Thank you for coming. Well, that's all for this week's episode of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you.